From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, the State Department Inspector General has announced an investigation or review into the Biden administration's haphazard withdrawal from Afghanistan. Florida Congressman Mike Waltz, a former Special Forces officer with several tours in Afghanistan and a member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, is here to respond to that announcement. Also, I'm not going to comment on the specific report. I can say and e- would echo what he said, which is generally speaking, we've made clear our concerns about the military capabilities that the PRC continues to pursue. Uh, and we have been consistent in our approach with China. Uh, we welcome stiff competition, but do we not we don't do not want that competition to veer into conflict. And that is certainly what we convey privately as well. Do hypersonic missiles fall into the stiff competition or the conflict category? We'll talk about it with Congressman Waltz. And Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita is teaming up with 16 other states in an anti-bullying campaign. They're protecting parents from the Biden administration. that apparently agrees with the National School Boards Association that parents who show up to school board meetings demanding the indoctrination of their children stop are the equivalent to domestic terrorists. Is your state among the 17? Stay tuned and find out later here on Washington Watch. And speaking of parents and education, Virginia Democratic gubernatorial candidate Terry McAuliffe has a new campaign ad out saying his comments about how he would not allow parents to make decisions about what their children are exposed to in public schools was taken out of context. Was it? Well, I'll let you decide later here on Washington Watch. Also, you'll be shocked to hear what parents in Nebraska found when they filed a Freedom of Information Act request with the Nebraska Department of Education. We'll talk with the father who led the effort, Jason Martinez. And finally, the $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill, a.k.a. also known as President Biden's Build Back Better plan, or more accurately, Build Government Bigger plan, is still making its way through the labyrinth of Capitol Hill. This is the moment that President Biden is choosing to let the farthest left people in Washington, D.C. rewrite America's energy and environmental policy. Connor Simmelsberger, Director of Federal Affairs here at FRC, joins me to look at the costly socialist policies like the Green New Deal tucked away in the almost 2,500 pages of the Reconciliation Bill. That's coming up later here on Washington Watch. Again, if you miss anything, you can always find it later at TonyPerkins.com in our archives. The State Department Inspector General has announced an investigation or review into the Biden administration's haphazard withdrawal from Afghanistan. He has notified both the Foreign Affairs Committee in the House and the Senate of the investigation. And that's just one agency where the inspector general is looking into Afghanistan. Joining me now to talk more about this is U.S. Congressman Mike Waltz. He's a member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee and a decorated special forces officer with multiple combat tours in Afghanistan, the Middle East, and Africa. He serves the 6th Congressional District of the Sunshine State. Congressman, welcome back to the program. Yeah, hey, thanks, Tony. Good to be with you, as always. What's your first reaction to the Inspector General, the State Department, looking into the withdrawal from Afghanistan and the various aspects? Well, you know, I welcome it if it's an actual investigation. 
that said, you already have the State Department spokesman saying, no, it's not an investigation. It's more of a project, <laughs> whatever that means. But the concerning piece is, you know, I think this is going to fall into the kind of necessary but not sufficient category because the scope of it, at least as it's described in the letter uh, to Congress, is really focused on the SIV, which is a special immigrant visa process for our interpreters, uh, and the resettlement effort. It's not really looking at the big policy uh, decisions which led to the debacle. You know, for example, who decided on September 11th, which was clearly a politically driven uh, uh, deadline, and then moved it to the 31st? Uh, who made the decisions that, despite um, clear evidence that many Americans were being left behind that wanted to leave, not, meant, not to mention our allies, right? Who left the Americans uh, behind? Who decided uh, to get all of our military equipment out <laughs> before we had gotten our people out? And so we all know, uh, and that's increasingly becoming clear, that those decisions were made in the White House, uh, that Biden ignored his generals on multiple occasions. Uh, and that's the real investigation that needs to take place. So while this is welcome from state, I don't think it's going to get to the real crux of those issues, unfortunately. Now, according to press reports, other agencies will be conducting uh, inspector generals from other offices will launch their own investigations uh, and reportedly including the Department of Defense and the special general mm -hmm. Uh, the inspector general for the Afghan reconstruction. Do you anticipate them covering any of these essential issues? Well, I, for, to, from what I've seen, the Defense Department inspector general is, is, is primarily looking at the botched drone strike uh, that, uh, that ended up killing 10 civilians. Uh, I hope that gets to the bottom of what type of if any, but I, I believe it existed, uh, political pressure there was to rush that strike uh, in the wake of losing our 13 Marines, uh, soldiers and sailors, uh, so that, you know, the, the, the administration could be seen as taking action and looking tough and, and being effective. Uh, I hope that gets to the bottom of that. But again, the, the, the big decisions, uh, as Biden uh, has said, the buck stops with him. And of course, then he proceeded to blame all kinds of other people. That needs to happen, and I think that's, frankly, only going to happen uh, in terms of those White House decisions when we get the House back uh, in, uh, in 2022. Uh, Congressman Waltz, one of the issues that you have raised was the $82 billion uh, dollars worth of equipment was left behind. I don't see that on the agenda of any of these inspector generals. That's right, and that's another that's another issue that I think we're going to have to get at with congressional oversight. And and in fairness, Tony, that much of that equipment was left for the Afghan military to continue fighting, uh, and and you know as they as they crumbled, my question is why we didn't reverse course, apply air power, and begin taking that equipment out when it became obvious. Uh, that the intelligence estimates were wrong and our estimates about the Afghan capabilities were wrong. And, you know, were those, rec were those decisions recommended and rejected or were they not recommended at all? And then the other key issue is Bagram Air Base. Uh, those are things, you're right, that aren't in, the, uh, in what we've seen so far that these inspector generals are looking at. But uh, I tell you what, I am not going to rest until I get to the bottom of it 
because those 13 dead soldiers and all of those veterans out there who sacrificed so much deserve it. Uh, Congressman, it brings up a, a, a very important aspect when you talk about the intelligence. When did our intelligence, uh, military intelligence, other intelligence determine that the Afghan army was going to crumble? There are some reports to suggest that they knew this was going to happen more quickly than they were projecting, uh, but they yep. they didn't want to publicly acknowledge that. And so, as you said, these this material was left behind, knowing it was going to fall into the hands of the enemy. But more importantly, we're going to lose right. human lives uh, as a result. Well, of that. that and that and, and that you know, that was my question to both Secretary Austin and General Milley. OK, we do have reporting out there and reports on the record that the intelligence community uh, changed its estimate that they thought the Afghan military would at least last until the end of this year. Okay, let's take that at face value, then that means uh, $82 billion worth of equipment was going to fall into enemy hands at the end of 2021 versus <laughs> in August, and that makes it somehow, that would have made it somehow better? No. And, and so I didn't see any kind of action uh, to incorporate that, but also um, you know, once we saw cities starting to fall and the military starting to crumble, why didn't we reapply American air power to buy time, to get our people out, perhaps even to stem the tide and stiffen the spine of the Afghan military? Because, Tony, what we have now, what we have now is a Taliban caliphate, just like we had an ISIS caliphate under the Obama uh, administration. And we have a terror superstate on our hands, uh, and the intelligence is clear that al-Qaeda fully intends to reconstitute and to hit us again if given the chance. And as you and I have talked about, the Taliban equals al-Qaeda. They are, they are one and the same. They pledge allegiance to each other. And we have yet to receive a fulsome uh, uh, classified briefing on how we're going to deal with that from a counterterrorism standpoint. Yeah, and uh, they are well equipped, better than anything else we've seen or uh, met in the in the past. Uh, Congressman Walsh, right. I want to shift gears uh, for the remaining few minutes we have together here, uh, because China has tested a nuclear capable hypersonic missile. The White House saying, "Hey, look, we welcome stiff competition." But uh, frankly, Congressman, when it comes to national defense, I don't want competition. I want to dominate. Yeah, that, no, that's right. Tony, let me – and this isn't – I'm not fear-mongering. I'm not overstating the case here. Uh, but let me tell you what. This was a Sputnik moment. Uh, this was um, – this is a game-changer, and let me tell you why. These, so normally a ballistic missile, when it launches, we pick up the launch, and it's traveling on a predictable arc. Uh, it passes high into space. Our satellite can pick it up. We can figure out where it's going, and then we can address it with our missile defenses. It's difficult. It's like hitting a bullet with a bullet, uh, you know, as it's flying at mock speed. But we are able to do that right now. The hypersonic missiles are a maneuverable bullet, and they don't travel on a predictable arc. They can fly around our radar so that we can't pick them up at all, and they travel at such speeds, um, you know, up, up to Mach 20. Uh, that we can't shoot them down. So basically, we are defenseless. This is a first-strike weapon uh, that the Chinese have, and the only way we're going to be able to deal with it is to accelerate the development of our system so that we go back to, uh, we go back to a deterrent posture. But between now and then, we are incredibly exposed. The other piece, Tony, is you know, this is a culmination of 20 years of the Chinese stealing 
uh, our technology left, right, and center from our universities, from our research institutes, through cyber, even through mergers and acquisitions, which Wall Street are all too happy to, to facilitate of key technologies. Uh, and the chickens coming home to roost, the Chinese are passing us in many areas, and we can't take for granted that we would win uh, a future war anymore. And that should scare uh, everyone. And we need a real wake-up call in, in this country. And the average American doesn't realize it, but is facilitating this every time they pick up that product from China or they go to the movies where China is now dominating and controlling Hollywood. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And and as we discussed, it is our money through Hollywood, through sports, through Wall Street, and through Walmart and Amazon. You know, every time you pick up Made in China and you send your money, uh, that over there, you are fueling their military buildup, their manufacturing base at the expense of ours, uh, their Belt and Road Initiative, which is buying up infrastructure, including the Panama Canal all around the world. We've got to put a stop to it and bring that manufacturing back home. Yeah, it is a the greatest threat, I believe, to our country from a military standpoint. Uh, Congressman Mike Waltz, always great to talk with you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us this afternoon. Okay, thank you, Tony. Take care. God bless. And, folks, I encourage you, especially as we uh, come up to the holiday season, Christmas, people start uh, buying up, buying products, buying uh, gifts for Christmas. Uh, I encourage you, buy American. In fact, that's a good opportunity to tell you about our stand mug, 15 ounces of pure U.S. ceramic. All right, made right here in the United States. All right, don't go away. Coming back on the other side of the break. The Attorney General of Indiana leading 16 other states to, well, in an anti-bullying campaign against the Biden administration. He's here next to explain. With tech censorship on the rise, we've increasingly seen the cancellation of conservatives and Christians. At Family Research Council, we want to be proactive about making sure big tech doesn't completely silence us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, if we are canceled, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone by signing up for our text alerts. Just text STAN to 67742. Again, text STAN to 67742. And FRC will send you special alerts on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for what's right and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Join us for FRC and FRC Action's inaugural Pray Vote Stand Summit. In light of the growing opposition our culture has expressed against biblical principles and the truth of God's word, we've launched Pray Vote Stand Summit to equip and encourage Christians to respond to this opposition from a biblical worldview. We will address issues such as protecting the unborn, the importance of the nuclear family, domestic and international religious liberty, developments in our nation's education system, and more. We see the need for the restoration of a biblical foundation in our nation and the necessity to equip Christians to effectively engage the culture and understand current events through a biblical lens. Join us at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia, from October 6th through the 8th for the Pray Vote Stand Summit. Register online at prayvotestand.org summit 
or by calling 877-372-2808. More than ever before, Christians need to be grounded in the truth of God's Word and be prepared to articulate them in a winsome manner. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. By applying the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to a wide range of relevant issues, including voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality, the experts at the center have provided resources to help Christians live by a biblical worldview. To understand why scripture must be authoritative and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. Access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series at frc.org slash worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including their latest blogs, op-eds, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org slash subscriptions. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, 17 state attorneys general uh, are uh, banding together to uh, start an anti-bullying campaign. Uh, And it's an anti-bullying campaign against the Biden administration. Uh, They've sent a letter to the Biden administration calling on them to immediately cease any further actions designed to intimidate parents from expressing their opinions on the education of their children. Now, this is being led by the Indiana Attorney General, Todd Rokita. The state AGs want the U.S. Attorney General, Merrick Garland, to immediately withdraw his October 4th memo, which we've discussed uh, quite frequently here. Uh, That memo went to the FBI and to U.S. attorneys that um, was sent after the National School Boards Association reached out to President Biden about what they equated to domestic terrorism, that is, concerned parents coming out to school board meetings. Joining me now to tell us more about this 17-state effort is the Attorney General leading this effort, Indiana Attorney General Todd Rokita. General Rokita, welcome back to the program. Hey, thanks, uh, Tony. Glad to be with you. I'm smiling and shaking my head because, you know, only in a Biden administration can you let the Taliban uh, back in a country that you kicked out 20 years ago and call them partners and call our own parents the terrorists. Um, it, it, you laugh so you don't cry, but it is, it is truly disturbing what's going on, and that's why I'm so happy to have with us uh, 17 states uh, that are all leaders and have a great attorneys general who are going to let parents know that they have someone in their corner when it comes to raising their kids. Well, and I've read, I've read your letter, and the, the, the two main points I want to talk about that you bring up in the letter, number one, uh, and I've raised this as well, that this, this whole call is based upon a, f- a flawed premise. Um, I- explain that. Well, yeah, the premise is that the, that the parents are doing anything wrong or that the parents are doing something wrong. I mean, that's, that's probably th- this is a free country and this is them interacting with their government. If it's a public school board and these are public schools, that is a government school. And and you have got to be transparent if you're running that kind of government program. You've got to be accountable. And that's all these parents are doing. There hasn't been one documented instance from the National School Board Association or the group that, you know, that other group that wrote to Biden said, oh, my Lord, we're worried about our teachers and we're worried about our school board officials from these terrorist parents who are coming in and 
and they made it sound like they were, um, you know, there were fisticuffs going on and there were guns and bullets and all these things and people were dead. No, they came to a school board meeting and some may have raised their voices. I don't know, but there's no crime in raising your voice. There's no crime in being emotional for your children. Uh, you can't disrupt. You can't stop. You can't, you can't be violent in any way. But then again, there are laws for that. You don't need the DOJ in there when you have 10,000 people a day creating a federal federal crime when they cross the southern border, when you can loot in stores up to $1,000 in California, at least, and not be charged, when you can beat up on a police officer, when you can start fires. I mean, if the DOJ wants to get involved with something, maybe they ought to focus on how to help local law enforcement alleviate those problems. Yeah. You know, when I when I read the letter from the National School Boards Association to the president and I and I look through looking the same asking the question, where's the evidence that parents are the equivalent to domestic terrorists? And it reminded me of, of it really of of kids on the school ground, on the playground. And uh, and they get into a name calling match. And, and one of the students gets upset about it because they called him a name. And instead of going to the teacher on duty at the uh, there at the playground, they go to the National Guard. Uh, calling for the National Guard to come on and clear out the playground. Um, I mean, that's the equivalent here. It's it's overreach. It's it's uh, well, I, let me move to the next point, because I want you I want you to address this, because I think this is what's so important. It violates the First Amendment rights of parents. Speak to that. Right. So, again, this has to do with government schools, it has to do with public schools. OK, so the, it, the First Amendment talks about the fact that government cannot silence you. Right. It's a cherished right. It's it's, it's after the Second Amendment, probably the most important amendment for me. Um, so this school board, these school boards, if it's a public school, are the government. They cannot silence you. Uh, that's the point. They cannot hinder free speech. Uh, so we really have to make sure our state laws are also intact here. For example, even in Indiana, um, you, you, you can attend a school board meeting. They're public meetings, so you can see what's going on. But unless the school board has a, pol- a specific policy to allow parent comment, they don't have to let parents comment. And so I think you're going to see, and I hope hopefully it's in Indiana as well, lawmakers start to realize, look, we got to let these parents raise their children and they're being in charge of their education as part of raising your child. I have a more sinister view, Tony, about this than maybe you do. I think this is what I know. This is what leftists do, whether you want to call them socialist, communist, dictators, whatever. Look, if you're going to be that kind of regime, you cannot let uh, the family units run the show. Right? If you have a free republic, you absolutely need a family unit to be the foundation of society. So they try to divide and break that up. And when they say like this McCullough uh, fella in uh, in Virginia saying, well, parents have no right to be te- telling teachers what to teach. Well, they have every right. They have the primary responsibility for their child, including their education. But socialists and leftists hate that because when they right. divide up the family, they're able to let the state come in and do that work. And that's and, when and you... you- that's and you, you point out, you point out in your letter that the Supreme Court has even recognized the courts have recognized that fact that it is the parents and the guardians that have the primary responsibility. Look, before we run out of time here, uh, General Rakita, voter suppression, voter intimidation is a big deal. That's always uh, it's prosecuted. It's gone after. 
This is a form of intimidation and suppression of the First Amendment. Uh, are there legal actions that can be taken here? I think there are. In fact, just about a little bit before I got on with you, I saw that there's a, a group of parents, I think it was Virginia, that um, that, that have filed a lawsuit on First Amendment grounds. We're, we're going through that right now. Uh, you, you know, you have to have an injury first. And uh, right. the question here would be, is is the threat of intimidation alone enough of an injury? Uh, but certainly if the DOJ started coming in uh, and, and doing things, there'd be much more of an injury and much more of a case. And these 17 states, uh, we're going to be looking out for all that. And in the, in, ultimately, you know, the local law enforcement uh, who, who Garland threat, threatens to work with, I think are going to be for these parents, certainly yeah. the sheriffs. And so if you right. have immediate injuries, you know, in addition to a lawsuit, maybe you should talk to your local sheriff as well. Well, and we're going to ask our listeners to uh, to call in with those. General, we're out of time. Always great to talk with you. Thanks for leading the effort. Thank you. Next Stick time. with us, folks. We're back after this. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Have you ever tried to read the Bible daily but struggled to get in a groove? It can be hard, especially if you don't know where to start or how to understand and apply what you've read. Or maybe it's just that doing it alone has made it too easy to give up. Well, let me encourage you. You don't have to do this daily discipline alone. You can join Family Research Council's Stand on the Word two-year Bible reading plan. God's Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. That is why we want to read the Bible daily, and we'd love for you to join us so we can stay grounded in God's truth and grow closer to God together. Our hope is that this plan will help you be transformed by God's Word, by reading and hearing it daily. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org Bible. That's frc.org Bible. This is Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, yeah, I'm going to, in a little bit, next segment, I'm going to play the the, uh, the the new ad by Terry McCullough. He is a Democratic candidate in Virginia's heated gubernatorial race. He's He is trying to fix the damage uh, he did to his campaign when he said parents should not have a say in what their children are being taught or exposed to in school. This has become a big issue. Uh, around the world. I mean, we were just talking about it uh, with the Attorney General of Indiana. Look, parents are, are are not taking this any longer. 
And I am glad. I am I could not be happier because I've been saying this for a long time, that public education is poisoning the minds of our children. Now, not classic education as it used to be, as most of us experienced, but what has really been happening in the last decade and a half to two decades, intently. Now, I know it's been going on before that, but, I mean, it has been intense really since the Obama administration. And... We've had the uh, the governor of Nebraska on the program here as he was uh, working to try to expose kind of the, the sex ed that was taking place there. Well, parents got involved and they did something that we actually have encouraged parents to do across the country. And that is to file freedom of information request on what's happening at these school boards. Well, with the state of Nebraska, parents are uh, really really stepping forward and providing some tremendous leadership. And Jason Martinez is a father, and he's a member of the Protect Nebraska Children's Coalition, and he uncovered uh, some shocking information through an informa- a freedom of information request with the Nebraska uh, Education System, Department of Education. He joins us now. Uh, Jason, welcome to uh, Washington Watch. Hello. Thank you for having me. Uh, now, b- before we get into the, the, the documents and what you uncovered in this Freedom of Information request, which is really startling, uh, just give our listeners kind of a, a sense of what's going on in Nebraska with regards to its controversial sex education curriculum. Yeah, sure. So early this year, um, it was about March, uh, Governor Ricketts, as you had mentioned, uh, came out with a statement that uh, said that, you know, Nebraska parents should be looking at the newly it was going to be a newly proposed um, health standards um, that the state of Nebraska, the Nebraska Board of Education would be discussing um, to implement as a standard across our state. And um, with that was um, uh, there was going to be a release of the first draft, which which happened um, in about mid-March. And um, that's kind of where things started here. And it was a very controversial um, topic. Right. Well, I mean, I can, um, I'll go into what was, what was proposed here in the March, um, what was published in March was a detailed curriculum to teach gender identity in, uh, in first grade, transgender hormone therapy in fifth grade, oral and anal sex in the seventh grade and abortion in the eighth grade. I mean, we're talking elementary school here. Um, Absolutely. now, as parents, parents began to speak into this, the Department of Education said, oh, this is all internal. We're getting teacher input. Uh, we, no outside groups are speaking into this. Right. You found out they were lying. Tell us yes, about it. They were. Yes, they were. Um, so what we found out was that uh, first there was very limited information available to the public about this major shift in the approach to Classic education is one how you kind of mentioned, um, and that how did we go from you, from where we are currently to to this radical um, approach? And we found that you know we had this um, more more in, more looked like the national sex education standards that were published by SICUS. And um, what we found was is that not only did they tell us that there was these experts that and uh, that put in the content uh, for the writing team to eventually write um, the commissioner uh, 
denied that there was any influence outside of these um, uh, these experts and that there was no such thing as any political activists that were or any other activist organizations that had any involvement in it. And what we found was that there was a huge tie to um, uh, the woman's uh, to a to a woman um, that formerly worked for SICUS uh, and has was heavily involved with um, these radical um, sex education um comprehensive sexuality education uh, groups. And, and the, the original draft was nearly identical to the 2020 National Sex Education Standards, these outside groups clearly involved in, in this. But beyond the, the, the content of the curriculum and where it came from, was mm-hmm. this condescending, almost snarky, almost hateful view of parents. Absolutely. Um, what was really interesting is that we found that uh, <clears throat> one of the board members, Lisa Neary, who is um, a uh, obviously an elected official, uh, you know, she very much advocated for one of one of the women from her name is Lisa Schultz. She is the lady that uh, that had a huge influence as far as putting in this these standards, and she was very much pushing that that this that this lady. Um, hold uh, a, a seat on the advisory panel, um, and so. <clears throat> hey, hey, Jason, we're we're up against a, a break, but can you can you hold on for just a couple of minutes? Because I'd like to to come back and finish this on the other side of the break. Because yeah. I, I think people need to understand what goes on behind those closed doors and what they're saying about parents, and why we've got to press forward. Yeah. And then what we do with the information that we obtain. So, Jason, thanks so much for uh, for sticking with us. Folks, I hope you'll stick around. Uh, Jason's going to join us on the other side of the break. We're going to wrap up that conversation. Then uh, we're going to look at the reconciliation bill and all of the socialist policies tucked away in the 2,500 pages there. Don't go away. We're back after this. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student? specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to influence public policy and culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15 week internship program that prepares and equips students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview trainings, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns will have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls them. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving interns the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. Is real biblical masculinity lost forever? In this culture of gender confusion, there are too few examples of godly manhood. So where can men, husbands, and fathers find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength in this culture? Try our Stand Courageous Men's Ministry. We seek to help men develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. We invite you to join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who struggle with the same issues you do. 
and will invest in unpacking our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can have a generational influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With text censorship on the rise, we've increasingly seen the cancellation of conservatives and Christians. At Family Research Council, we want to be proactive about making sure big tech doesn't completely silence us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a text subscription platform. That way, if we are canceled, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone by signing up for our text alerts. Just text STAND to 67742. Again, text STAND to 67742. And FRC will send you special alerts on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for what's right and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Tony Perkins, and you are listening to Washington Watch. The website is TonyPerkins.com. If you uh, miss anything, it's all archived there later. In fact, share it with your friends uh, so that they can uh, listen as well. And let me encourage you, download the Stand Firm app. That way, if you're outside one of the 800 stations that uh, carries Washington Watch, you can still get it on the app at the Stand Firm app. All right, we're uh, joined by Jason Martinez. He's a Nebraska parent and a member of the Project Nebraska Children Coalition. Now, what he did as a parent, he filed a Freedom of Information Act request with the Nebraska Department of Education because they were saying that they were putting together all this curriculum and they were doing on their own, no outside groups. Well, emails and text messages from elected board members of education representatives, uh, the national, or the uh, Nebraska Department of Education employees, and advisory board members show that activists were not only closely involved, but disparaged parents and froze out teachers who were supposed to write the curriculum. Uh, Jason is uh, still with us. Jason, thanks so much for uh, for sticking around. All mm-hmm. right. So um, one of the things that I saw, one of the emails was that uh, regarding the parental engagement is, um, let's see, where was it here? I had it marked. Um, oh, uh, this was from, uh, I think, a board member, uh, Neri. Is she a board member? She said, uh, most of the testimony we heard has been hate speech, not mm-hmm. facts, just because parents don't want their children indoctrinated with this radical sexual uh, agenda that they're pushing. Yeah. Yeah, it was a complete uh, playbook out of the left. I mean, anything that doesn't fit their agenda, you know, we we are always, you know, the conservative base is called uh, anything, you know, from uh, haters to, you know, any any catchphrase of the day. And that's well, that's the one that she pulled out of the playbook. And that, you know, we had we had lots of uh, folks that were in the as parents, you know, lots of professional people um, and lots of um people, positions, uh, you know, mental health uh, practitioners, uh, teachers, anything, you name it. We had people that were just um, concerned and completely opposed it. But if you, but that's what she called it in the internal emails, that there was definitely a dis, 
the distaste for um, for for people. In fact, she wanted to um, she she actually kind of was lobbying at a point to you know withhold public comment section. Um, that way, the boards could listen to the science um, that 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 she was hopeful that the board would eventually uh, take as truth. So, Jason, uh, final question for you is you, well, actually, I got two questions for you, but uh, mm-hmm. this question is uh, anything in what you read, and I, you read through all of this that came back to you from this Freedom of Information request. Uh, you were going through all this information, and a lot of that's a lot of data to comb through. Did you see anything that really shocked you? Yeah, I guess, you know, the take home for me was it really shocked me is that we had an elected official that um, was was very um, basically obsessed with making sure that once she had the person um, that would help advocate uh, what she ultimately wanted in the health standards um, <clears throat> and how obsessed that that person was. And it was shocked me that, 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 that she was pushing for something that she would ultimately vote on, which I found to be very, you know, kind of, um, um, I guess it's a little bit out of, uh, she didn't stay in her lane at all. You know, as an elected member, the, you know, the board is supposed to take in information and vote yes or no on a, on the subject, but she was actually trying to advance something. So, uh, it would be to her liking. So this is the final question for you, Jason. Um, you know, you've got, I think a daughter that's uh, been, been in the, in the schools as you found out all this information and, and the machinery that was behind pushing this indoctrination, how have you responded to this? What, what have you decided to do? You know, um, I, I think that from where, where we're at as a group, I mean, my daughters are in, in high school and they, they definitely will have one in high school. One's a, uh, an eighth grader and will be a, going in next year to the high school. And they're at that age where it's very difficult for us to pull them away from their friends. So as, as a parent, we're very mindful as uh, making sure that our local districts are um, understanding of the, of the needs of the parents. Um, so, so me and our whole, and our household, that's what we're trying to do is keep a pulse on what's being taught. And we teach our girls that if you have any of this kind of thing that I need to know immediately, I want to, I want to be told that if there's something out there that you don't feel uncomfortable with, or if you think that, that maybe somebody is, um, trying to teach you something that, uh, you don't agree with, um, don't feel that you have to accept it and we'll come home and we'll talk about it. That's one thing. And then, um, from a, from another, um, and then another point of that is uh, answer to your question, I should say, is that we're not done yet. Um, we have uh, formed a political action committee and our intention is eventually to, um, you know, vet school board members and have them um, and put into place school board members that will listen to the will for the will of the people and do what they've been elected to do. And so we're excited Music to have that. Music to my ears, Jason. That's what parents need to do. Number one, they need to be involved in the education of their children, know what's going on, and and have that conversation with their kids, and then make a difference by getting uh, engaged and involved. Uh, Jason Martinez, thanks so much for uh, for joining us. Great to talk with you, and uh, thank you for uh, your leadership there in Nebraska. Well, thank you for your time. Good night from Harlan. All right. So, folks, it can be done. It can be done, and we need to do it in school district after school district across America. All right, I want to go uh, to this new ad from Virginia gubernatorial candidate Terry McAuliffe. Now, before I play it, 
He claimed that his words from last month at the last uh, gubernatorial debate on September the 28th had been taken out of context. So here's his ad that's now airing. As parents, Dorothy and I have always been involved in our kids' education. We know good schools depend on involved parents. That's why I want you to hear this from me. Glenn Youngkin's taking my words out of context. I've always valued the concerns of parents. It's why as governor we scaled back standardized testing, expanded pre-K, and invested a billion dollars in public schools. I'm Terry McCall, candidate for governor, and I sponsored this ad because working together, we can give our kids the education they deserve. He didn't mention that he vetoed a law that would have actually given parents more authority over what was taking place in the schools. But I I want you to hear for yourself his words on September the 28th in a in the final gubernatorial debate with um, uh, the Republican candidate, uh, Glenn Youngkin. Here is now, now before I play it, just to let you know, I mean, this is there's a lot of talk over here. So I will I'll come back and, and let you know what's said here. But listen to this and you see you determine if his comments were taken out of context. I'm not going to let parents come into schools and actually you take books out and make their own decision. You vetoed it. So, yeah, I, parents, you stop the bill that I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. All right. So I, I think you heard it. McCullough said, I'm not going to let parents continue to come in schools and actually take books out, make their own decisions. And you heard that uh, was uh, Glenn Youngkin in the background saying you vetoed it. So, yeah, you vetoed it, uh, McCullough. So, yeah, stop the bill that I don't think parents should be telling schools what they should teach. This was the bill that he vetoed that would have allowed parents more voice in the types of controversial material that's coming into schools, able to give parents more authority. But look what he said. I'm not going to let parents come into schools and actually take books out, make their own decision. Uh, uh, parents should not be telling schools what they should teach. So did he take, was he taken out of context? I would say absolutely not. Here's what's happening, is that he is, uh, he's fearful because what's happening across the country, this is the same reason that the Department of Justice has responded with his memo on October the 4th regarding parents and education, is that this is the Tea Party movement of 2022. Parents have said enough is enough, and they are moving into these school board uh, settings. They are running candidates against these incumbent school board members. And guess what happens when they get politically involved? They don't stop with school boards. They go to city councils. They go to state legislatures. Uh, They go all the way up to Congress. And this is troubling to the Democrats. So it's not that Terry McAuliffe was taken out of context. It's that he's in damage control is what it is. All right. Okay. I'm going to we're going to switch gears now. Democrats are still at odds over the size and scope of their sweeping social spending package the reconciliation bill, what the president calls the Build Back Better plan. I think it's more Build Government Bigger plan. Uh, they are trying to pass this by October the 31st. Last week, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said Democrats can craft a smaller version of their $3.5 trillion bill while still addressing three main areas, climate change, health care, and family issues. But according to reports, 
The party's two factions still remain far apart on some key areas, even within those three buckets. Uh, last week on the program, we talked about, uh, we were kind of dissecting this, talking about uh, the plan uh, highlighting various uh, troubling proposals that are buried in the nearly 2,500 pages. Uh, if you missed any of those discussions, you can go back and uh, watch them at TonyPerkins.com. Today, uh, I hope to get into, we may not get it all finished, but I want to look at the Green New Deal, which even Democrat Senator Ed Markey admitted is in the DNA of this green budget resolution. With me now to talk about this aspect of the bill and some of the other socialist grab bag policies is Connor Simmelsberger, Director of Federal Affairs here at the Family Research Council. Connor, welcome back to the program. Great to be back, Tony. All right. I know our time is short here, so we may have to carry this over uh, till tomorrow. But the um, let, let's start by talking about the Green New Deal policies and programs that have been uh, tucked into this uh, Build Government Bigger plan. Yeah, this has Green New Deal written all over it. And even Senator Joe Manchin, who we've talked quite a bit about regarding this plan, um, is, is calling for, for what it is, a, a big government overtake of our energy sector. And while this might seem like it just tackles, you know, big energy policies here in D.C. Uh, or at, uh, you know, electric grids across the states, it really affects people at home. Uh, they're at everyday uh, energy costs, gasoline costs, you name it. Uh, these Green New Deal policies uh, affect you at home. And by the way, for Joe Manchin from West Virginia, Coal State, uh, they take a big hit with these uh, Green New Deal plans. Uh, one of the things that we're going to see is a push for uh, Americans to get 40 percent of their energy from wind and solar and other renewable energies within eight years. What effect is that going to have on the price of energy, the cost of energy? Yeah, I can speak from this from personal experience. Being from Pennsylvania, uh, all across the state, you have a diverse set of resources, natural gas, coal, nuclear plants, you name it. Uh, but under the Obama administration, when they implemented these kinds of provisions, subsidies for solar and wind, uh, we saw the, the energy prices change dramatically, and it really affected our local communities. Uh, can you imagine taking that to the next level, you know, penalizing those, those energy sectors that continue to use coal and natural gas and favoring subsidizing those with renewable energies? It's only going to really affect uh, the working-class Americans that this whole bill is designed to hurt. Well, we're already seeing, um, I was driving this weekend to go see my new grandbaby, and uh, the price of gasoline has skyrocketed under the policies of the, this administration, you know, the Keystone Pipeline being severed. Um, but we're talking now heating and powering people's homes. I mean, I, I think people are going to have a hard time simply keeping their homes warm in the midst of winter as a result of policies like this. You're absolutely right. Up here in the Northeast, we've we've felt the chill of fall already. Maybe some people are turning on their heat. And yeah, energy is just going to continue to climb. Um, not only the people at home, but again, these sectors, these uh, good paying jobs for, again, many people in my home state, West Virginia as well, uh, might be out of a job uh, on top of those vaccine mandates forcing people out of work. Policies like this will also push people uh, back to the unemployment lines again. Now, let's talk about some of the extraneous grants that are in here, $5 billion worth of environmental and climate justice block grants, um, $5 billion. I mean, this is this Solorinda, Solorinda uh, 2.0, you know, where we had under the Obama administration the, uh, the, the controversy and corruption surrounding that? 
Yeah, I think it's eerily similar of that. Again, we're talking billions of dollars in these social justice, climate justice grants. Um, who knows what these can be used for? We know when these bureaucrats, whether it's at the EPA or other agencies, get a hold of these big pots of money, um, it only can lead to, to further radicalization of these policies in our country. Now, you know, we're talking, the president always saying this isn't going to hurt the middle class, but it's going to help some wealthy Americans because there's a 22 $222 billion in tax credits to pay for electric vehicles, cars that usually only the uh, the extreme rich can afford. Yeah, that jumps off the page. $222 billion in tax credits for wealthy Americans to go buy electric vehicles. I mean, it doesn't get more radical than that. I heard California governor already instituted, you know, a ban on any gas production of gas vehicles in the state. This is taking similar policies to that, but applying it to the rest of the country. All right, Connor, we're going to have to hold it there, but we're still going to get a fifth installment. We're going to look at some of the labor policies and uh, illegal immigration that is also tucked away in the reconciliation bill. So uh, stay there. Don't go anywhere. Uh, we'll talk more, I think, tomorrow about this. And, folks, I want to encourage you to tune back in uh, again tomorrow. We'll continue our look at the reconciliation bill and what's tucked away in that those nearly 2,500 pages. Remember I said the, uh, the Obamacare was only a little over 900 pages. This is a massive piece of legislation. All right, folks, thanks so much for joining us. Check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. Until next time, I leave you once again with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, who said when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at one 866 372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.